0: Welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting On Demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, August the 22nd, 2021. And today on the program, we have a lot to talk about. CM Punk is back in professional wrestling. It was SummerSlam weekend. SummerSlam attendance, AEW Rampage rating. We don't have it yet, but we have some clues about what it might be. All the other effects... That uh, the buzz around CM Punk has caused. TV ratings will review quarter hours for last week's Rampage and Dynamite. We have live events uh, for the United Center, for Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas for SummerSlam. Nick Khan making the media rounds. We have an entire Nick Khan section to go over in addition to a CM Punk section. A big week in WWE corporate. Nielsen came out with some interesting data about... uh, Media consumption generally, and Paul Levesque did not do a media call, but he did address the media with questions about the tryout in Las Vegas only. All that and more today on the program.
1: But first. Mm-hmm.
2: People talk about the shifting of what it is. It, it never really shifted, right? So if you if you go back and you look at the hiring process, not hiring process of television show, hiring process of who we were looking to train and make WWE superstars, mm-hmm. right? Long-term. If you go back and you look at that, it hasn't shifted. It's been the same process.
3: When it comes down to it, CM Punk was not as good or as over as a John Cena. It wasn't as good or as over. Uh, it moved the needle like The Rock. It, it just was, was what it was.
4: And you guys do have, comp- there's, sometimes there is competition for WWE, sometimes there isn't. When I was writing about it, there were, Turner had something called the WCW, now there's something called the AEW. Do you have a sense of, of who is watching AEW versus WWE?
3: We Well, look, we, we had an earnings call a couple weeks ago, um, and I referenced the recent, recent Reed Hastings line about sleep is yeah. our competition. So I look at it like this, August,
4: August 13th. 13th. 2005, I left professional wrestling.
1: August 20th, 2021. I'm back.
0: And now, joining us. From my immediate south. You know, I, I screwed up the cardinal directions last week. You were to my south west. I said southeast. So, retraction on that statement from last week when I was in Rhode Island. Now, I am back in central west Buffalo coming to me from, coming to us from my, I don't know, immediate south. Maybe slightly south No, yes, east. Chris Cullo joins us to talk about the week's events in professional wrestling did anything did anything interesting happen this week Chris callo
2: a very very busy week uh indeed um and we'll just get off to it with the biggest news CN Punk debuted on aew rampage on Friday night to lead off the show
0: he did yeah did uh did you watch it
2: I did it was did. It, it was cool like yeah that crowd reception was cool
0: mm-hmm I uh the most I felt like a wrestling fan in a long time I've told a couple people. Um and maybe there's additional reasons for me with uh Daniel Garcia uh, wrestling on the show in a in a big match with John Moxley. Um but yeah. Uh I put my AirPods in and I uh listened to the whole show closely to hear the crowd reactions. It was uh it's been a while since pro wrestling has felt that that much fun. Um I think there's there's a lot to uh, to unpack as far as CM Punk being a symbol for, um, and the Voice of the Wrestling flagship may have talked about this quite a bit, but CM Punk being a symbol for a lot of the discontent that wrestling fans have felt, especially in the time between now and when he left WWE in early 2014. So much has happened, and it's been like really a whole era that, that his exit and return to pro wrestling or or, or whatever, however you want to term it, as, uh, as you just heard the clip there with him uh, saying he's back in professional wrestling. But anyway, it's, it sort of bookends this era of professional wrestling that began in 2014, the beginning of the network era. And, uh, and this other era here where AEW continues to uh, do some really interesting stuff and, uh, the story of the business of pro wrestling, the most interesting story to me and I think to a lot of people. Judging by what our audience reacts to here, it is the story of AEW versus WWE, even though they are on dramatically different scales in many ways. Um, I think what people, I, I think what, what punk meant as a symbol to people is, you know, the frustration that fans felt, a, secondarily, all of the sort of, I'm hesitant to say like injustices might sound a little strong, but a, a lot of the unfairnesses and, um, the, the issues that W has with workers' rights, if you will, in terms of the classification of wrestlers as independent contractors, the uh, some of the medical treatment that he had that he was unhappy with. I really feel, if you go back and watch or listen to the um, the Art of Wrestling podcast that he did in, I, I remember where I was when, when that came out uh, on Thanksgiving Day. I was doing the turkey trot in Buffalo. I did the turkey trot as I listened to it in uh, November 2014. And, it, and it's really just an amazing highlight reel of all of the issues and complaints that uh, fans and wrestlers have and, and would more so publicly have in the years to come. Um, and I think part of the reason why there's an, an additional interest in the AEW versus WWE story, the, the, the fan discontent. A lot of fans feeling unsatisfied with the WWE core product. Um, but also, at the same time, WWE has made more and more money while putting out a product that many people feel is worse and worse. And there's no, there's, it's just, it's, it's, in, it's insane to, to a lot of people that WWE can put out this product that makes them more and more money over time. Um, and I, you know, I, I occasionally have people who, uh, when I, when I dare to have um, an opinion about, about the WWE product, which I think is ultimately important to our, our topic of when we discuss the, the business of pro wrestling, the the quality of your product matters. And people will tell me, well, if if you think it's so bad, look at your spreadsheets, pal. They're making more and more money. So what are you talking about? And the reason why W is making more and more money is largely for external reasons. As we'll get into here, there's some internal things happening on the corporate side that uh, people like Nick Khan are doing to help W make incrementally more more revenue. Uh, and and he's, he's facilitating good media deals for the company and already has. But that's despite the quality of W's content, not because of it. NW's media deals, I believe would be even more valuable if the quality of their content was better, which I think it easily can be. And it's quite a contrast to to watch. If you watched, as, as I, as I suspect many people who are listening did, if you watched AEW Rampage on Friday night and then you sampled the epic WWE SummerSlam the following night, it's quite a contrast. Uh, we, we won't get into that here, but there are other podcasts for that. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a big difference. And the reason why W is making more money over time is because of the external media economy that it that it is fortunate to find itself in where live sports content has become exceedingly valuable in this media environment in a way that it was not in prior eras uh, and W is still popular enough in fairness to them they are still popular enough to justify those fees but I think those fees could be much higher um, so his return punk's return sort of symbolizes ex- excitement for fans but I think for the, the story of is WWE going to uh get even stronger competition or is somebody going to exceed WWE in popularity in some ways in in the future um it feels like we're getting closer to that time and you've got uh in many ways a spiritual leader like CM Punk coming back to to join the opposing team uh so one thing i want to mention i have i have a huge rant here to go on but feel free to interrupt me if you have any comments go Um, one thing I want to mention is, um, great example of, uh, some of the, some of the issues that some fans have, uh, with, with WWE. But it's also an example of why WrestleMonics matters. I want to talk about, uh, for, for a moment, the WWE SummerSlam attendance, right? So we, the number is announced, uh, 51,326 people. Uh, they put out a press release to, uh, to commemorate this as well. WrestleTix shows, uh, forty-five thousand six hundred and ninety tickets distributed. So that's a difference of what somewhere around uh, over five thousand there. Um, for what it's worth, yeah, I know a lot of other sports leagues and live event promoters exaggerate their attendance too. Um, and nobody cares about when the NFL exaggerates their attendance or college football exaggerates their attendance or the NBA or the Pope for that matter exaggerates their attendance. But it matters to at least some wrestling fans probably particularly the kinds of wrestling fans that listen to a a podcast about the economics of professional wrestling. Um, cause I think, uh, it's, it's the only objective facts that we have, uh, in, uh, to, to, to measure, uh, wrestling with the wins and losses are, are predetermined. And, uh, often they're just based on the subjective opinion or whims of one person. Um, and it's the only thing that we have to measure. And I think this is why you know, the, the interest in the ratings was not, was not what it is now in, in 2018 when the only real big TV shows uh, on, on cable TV were Raw and Smackdown or broadcast for that matter. There wasn't anything on broadcast impact was wandering around somewhere on the pursuit channel and there was a little interest in, in TV ratings. And now there's, there's interest because people want to check the scoreboard. They want to see how close is it getting? Um, so that stuff matters more to wrestling fans who are used to being basically lied to and, you know, having their intelligence insulted anyway. Perfect example. Last night, uh, you've got uh, a promoted Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair match promoted right up to the last moment. They're running the video package to hype this match that they know is not going to happen. But, you know, they they think it's within their creative license to continue to do that. And uh we're not going to get in. I don't think we need to get into the into the, the choices to, to return Becky Lynch in the way they did. But uh, that's, yeah, that that's a whole other issue. But the, the WWE doesn't feel like it needs to be honest or forthcoming. Or you could have said, you know, we, we don't know uh, if, if Sasha Banks is going to be able to make it. They could have said that on Friday on SmackDown. But, uh, you know, there's this sort of... there's I, I think there's really this historical legacy of the, the tendency to, like, not be honest because that's what you've always done and we don't... Well, that's
2: the truth. We can't tell them the truth, you know. The mystery opponent. Real quick, the mystery opponent buzz probably would have done maybe even better business if they said on Friday Sasha Banks won't be there, but she'll have mystery opponent. Most people probably would have speculated Becky Lynch, but I think that would have drove more discussion on social media and probably more intrigue and interest.
0: And look, if they they just didn't know whether or not she was going to be cleared in time or whatever, who knows what's going on with her or whatever, what her reason was that she couldn't be there. We don't know, but they could have said she's, she's questionable for the spot. And if she's not there, though, we have an opponent in place for whatever, you know, but, um, this is just one example. That's a small one among a lot of others about why, yeah, W is this great uh, resurging business brand, but it is not a good consumer brand. Um, I, I like, I like to, to hit on these three points that the, the, your brand is determined by the quality of your products and services, the communication effectiveness and timeliness, uh, that you're able to communicate from your, your company to, to your customers and the leadership, uh, and, and talents behavior. And, uh, the communication is, uh, is, is the issue here on, on, on this one. Um, yeah, better ad rates, but, uh, you know, they, they don't, uh, do a great job, uh, making wrestling fans feel like they can trust this company. Uh, but anyway, um, so there's those things. Um, I think we talk about next, what the, we don't know, we are recording on Sunday. We don't know what the rampage number is. The final rating will come out Monday afternoon. Dave Meltzer has gone on his, um we can pull this slide out here and, and I'll jump back to the ones I'm skipping ahead of. Dave Meltzer has reported on Wrestling Observer Newsletter or Wrestling Observer Radio this morning. That Rampage, um, why don't you read what, what he, uh, he reported here, according to, uh, one Trevor Dame on Twitter.
2: All right. Uh, Dave on Wrestling Reserve Radio. The Rampage rating based on the top 10 markets looks exceptional. Uh, Trev, uh, Trev caveat that the complete ratings aren't known yet, and sometimes getting all the markets in, in can cause surprises. In the top 10 markets, Punk's debut Rampage was up 57% over the previous week in terms of households watching and up to 50% in terms of 18 to
0: 49. So if we do the math here, Dave is saying 57% up in total viewership. That's P2 plus 50% up in the key demo of 18 to 49. If we just do the math here, and this is assuming that if it were the case that these top 10 markets are representative of the nation overall, which is a big if, but let's do the math here and, and let's assume this for the sake of argument. Uh, that would mean that the total viewership from if and we're talking about the difference between this week this this past friday and the friday before that the debut of rampage that would mean 1.16 million viewers uh 1.16 million viewers total and that would mean a 50% increase on 1849 would mean a uh, 594,000 viewers in 1849 I'm giving in to the, to the demo ratings here now that Showbiz Daily is back here. I was trying to persuade everyone that they need to stop talking about demo ratings and start talking about viewers because that's what makes sense in everybody's brain. But Showbiz is back, and uh, I even had uh, one prominent person in the business uh, ask me for the demo rating after I gave them the viewer count in 1849. Uh, 0.46, excuse me, 46 is, would be the demo rating there if it was 50% higher than last week, 0. 0.46. Six in the, in the demo. That's, that's a raw rating, roughly. That's what raw does lately, I believe. Let's, let's double check that. If the, uh, if the spreadsheet will, will react quickly. There's my scroller. Uh, if we scroll to the bottom of our WrestleOnX viewership spreadsheet that you can get access to through Patreon, patreon.com slash WrestleOnX, or just $5 a month, along with my, uh, reports just about every weekday. The ratings, reports, and other stuff. Uh, 0.55 raw did last week. So it's a little bit below what Raw is doing lately. Um, when's the last time Raw? Eh, we had a uh, this record low on July fifth, where they did .41. Week after that, the last week in the yeah the last week in the Thunderdome they did .43. But they have been doing better than that ever since. So this would be just below what Raw is doing lately. If this is the case, we'll find out on Monday. Um, come to think of it, I should probably do a live stream or something on Monday because it's going to. I'm sure there's going to be hysteria in reaction to this number, especially if it's this high, if it's, if it's over a million. Um, I want to, I want to talk about too, I had these notes here because this, this tidbit from Dave just came out this morning. Um, and I, what I had here was let's talk about what the different ranges of, of the result would be like if it was less than 800,000, that would be a disappointment. That means it would be no higher than week one of rampage um uh, but if it's in the 800,000s okay that that that's normal that's within what what I was expecting um cuz if we go here i did some math here and uh i'm like well i think the baseline for rampage is probably about 20% lower than what they did in week 1 so that would put it at a just under 600,000 viewers total about half in the demo so to get from that theoretical baseline to a million viewers you got to be up nearly 70% and I, that just there isn't a lot of mathematical precedent for that. That's not something that happens really. Because um, I've got the, I've got what I like to do is take the mean of the prior four weeks for a given episode and compare it uh, to, to the to the viewership for that episode. And there's there's like one case where where AEW did a seventy percent increase versus the median of the prior four weeks, and that's that's when uh, on July thirtieth they just returned to the normal time slot. So so an external factor, not an internal factor, having something to do with the content of the show. Um, and then on April 14th, they were up 67% in total viewership. That was the first episode after the, the end of the Wednesday night war where they were up again, 67%, not 70 though. Um, but this is all very theoretical and we only have one data point to deal with here, which is week one of rampage to try to figure out what this means. Um, if it's over a million, then, then when I was making my notes here, I wanted to say, well, that's really exceeding my expectations of what, what's possible. Um, if it's like and i i wrote in a note here if it you know greater than or equal to 1.1 million and again if 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 these major markets maybe maybe uh, you know in rural america or something they don't they don't care as much about what what was happening on rampage but uh this would be this would be just over you know 1.1 million um and that's that begins to be i'm so hesitant to be hyperbolic here and that i'm going to sound like i'm overhyping it but then this is this is like a sign that there is something very, that is very much going to shake up the, the business of pro wrestling and the the popularity of pro wrestling, perhaps. Um, so there's that. I have, uh, I have some other things related to CM Punk and Rampage to talk about, but anything to add to that, goal?
2: Um, I just, I'm really curious how many shows actually do over a million viewers after 10 o'clock at night on a Friday. Like, so the, the, that would be, I think, pre- pretty amazing. I'm not sure what like Blue Bloods does on CBS or whatever, but. Um, I don't know how many shows that probably do more than 1 million viewers after 10 o'clock, like on a Friday night. Mm-hmm.
0: We could, we could look it up. We could, let's see if we can look this up
2: quickly. Uh,
0: blue bloods being your standard, uh, which is a CBS. I'm program.
2: just thinking of a show that's been in that time slot for a long time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think I have, I have an uncle who lives in New York city who like works on the, uh, I don't know. He like, uh, sets up this, this, the stage or this, the set for
2: blue bloods. Um, I mean, so that probably does more than a million, but I don't know how many. It oh, did. it definitely, yeah. it
0: definitely does. But it's, it's way, it's mostly out of the demo. Uh, did I scroll past the Friday? Yes, I did. There we go. I'll make this bigger, bigger too. So, uh, everybody can see it. If the, if, if we release this, maybe I will. Um, so, Blue Bloods 1.9 million at 10 o'clock. Uh, Dateline 2.2 okay. million at 10 o'clock. This wow. is total viewership. But, 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 look, it's massive in P50+. Can you see this, this column here where they're showing the P50 (laughs) share?
2: Oh, now, now Uh, I can see, (laughs) yeah.
0: If we look at 18 to 49, uh, SmackDown does, uh, from 8 to 10 on Fox, .58. Uh, but, yeah, Blue Bloods in, in 1849 does a does a .20. That's, that's a, this is an NXT rating some weeks. Um, uh, Dateline does a .30. You know, an AEW number, roughly. Some, some, I may be a lower on AEW number these days, but yeah. Um, so there's that. Uh, let's see here. If we go back to, uh, here. So, uh, we'll try to open this too. Um, the numbers on YouTube for, for the CM Punk clips are, are, uh, in the multiple millions right now. Uh, but what does that mean in relation to, uh, what AEW normally does on YouTube? I will, I will open these links live on the air so we have the most up-to-date, uh, numbers here to talk about. Um, and I've got YouTube muted here, so hopefully it won't play into our ears here. And even if it does, people probably wouldn't hear it. But anyway, the most viewed YouTube video is the Orange Cassidy Kid uh, clip. 34 million views. Now, granted, that's a year-old video, but 34 million views uh, for some context. 22 million views, 21 million views, 11 million views are the next most viewed YouTube clips. Um, quite a few that are over a million. So it's not like AEW never gets over a million. Again, these are not new videos. These are all videos that are over a year old, right? They all have the one-year-ago designation. Some are eight months ago, seven months ago. Um So if we look right now at what the CM Punk clips are doing on YouTube as we struggle to open them on my... By the way, while we wait for this to load, I have ordered a PC, as I revealed on the live stream the other day. I have ordered a PC uh, that will uh make our streaming capabilities greater. 4.4 million views for the entrance and, uh, for the other one. Most of the PC is, is here, but I can't really start to assemble it until the case and the mother, I think the motherboard is here, but I, I can't really start to assemble it just yet. And, uh, we'll have to see if I know what I'm doing. 3.8 million views on the, maybe this is the end, maybe this, this is the promo, I guess. So it's, it's in two parts. It's the entrance, they go to commercial break and they come back and then he speaks on the microphone. So again, what is it? 3.8 uh, 3. million views and 4.4 uh, 4 million views. Um, I wish we could look at all AW video views within the first four, seven days of the life of that video and compare this. Uh, that would be harder to, to find that data, though, uh, without having access to AW's YouTube analytics or something. Uh, so there's that. So that that seems strong, but we don't have a great deal of context to put that in. Um, the, the Google web search, though, for whatever it's worth, and let's talk about the United States here, but, but I looked at the worldwide too, and it was similar. There was a similar discrepancy. Last week, the first episode of Rampage, um, the Google web search related to AEW, and I think we talked about this last week, right? It was, uh, it was more, it was higher. The volume for AEW web search was higher on Friday than it was on Wednesday, even though Rampage was a more highly viewed show, but it was the debut. So if that was going to happen, that's not a shock that that would happen for Rampage on its debut. It was 1.7x over what it was on Wednesday. Okay, so just under doubling the Wednesday volume of web search. This Friday compared to this past Wednesday, 5.6x last I checked here. Um so that's a huge difference. And uh, you know, as I I've said this on Twitter, I shared these these line charts from Google Trends. I don't know what this means in terms of a rating, but uh, it's encouraging. It's at least it makes you feel that well, it's not the case that last week, anybody who was going to be interested in seeing CM Punk return already uh, already, already was watching Rampage. There would be no um, additional viewers there to capture. Um, and and these, these hints that we get from the top ten markets that, that Dave is reporting, uh, that's encouraging. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see on Monday afternoon, 4 p.m. Eastern. Sometimes I get it a few minutes earlier. Scooping scooping
2: us daily. A couple other business notes from that. Uh, pro wrestling tees, most t shirts sold in 24 hours. The CM wow. Punk debut tee, uh, they, so much that they crashed this website again, and I mean, they got it back up quickly, but, and then, uh, the ice cream bars, which I want to talk about. <laughs> I think so. Um, I, for some reason, the curiosity of me wanted to know more information about these ice cream bars. Where did they come from? How much were they? Cause that's, you know, I'm gonna guessing that they bought around 15,000. And that's a that, that that's a huge amount for a uh, distribution order. Um I cannot not find the wholesale price, but I found the place where you, they bought them and it's pretty cool ice cream bar and it's actually like an ice cream shop in Chicago uh which you can currently go buy the CM Punk ice cream bar if you were in Chicago or visiting Chicago for 5.75 a piece. Now if you at retail, and I know they didn't pay retail, they paid wholesale, but at retail they gave out eighty six thousand two hundred and fifty dollars worth of ice cream bars. My
3: yeah. yeah small,
2: very bad. small potato numbers, but That's not too bad.
0: Yeah. Uh did you see that you can get a so that's interesting, they're they're still selling it, so it's not as if this was the only time that this ice cream bar would be available. Um eBay, yesterday at least, I haven't looked at today, has some pre owned CM Punk ice cream bar wrappers that you can bid on. Ice cream bar not included for $61 was the high bid there. Yeah. I'm one, I'm one of them. Uh, I just found that amusing that, uh, especially that these were designated pre-owned. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) some people are selling dry ice. (laughs) Really?
2: They're actually (laughs) selling. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But how did they, how did they get in? but But it probably already melted though, right? (laughs) <laughs>
2: it, it, it probably didn't keep. Fig- yeah, uh, and by the way, the, the the place selling them it's just for pickup or in store only for five seventy five at pretty cool ice cream bar in Chicago. Um, let um, Yeah, I know I saw while you're drivers. looking that up. The merch lines were really long by
0: all accounts uh, for to go get CM Punk's new T shirt that he was wearing. Um, yeah, I, w- I was told merch sales were stupendous for whatever that means. Um, but I imagine it was, I imagine there was a high venue merge per capita. Uh, usually for, for W pre pandemic, it was 10 to $12 per head, uh, when, when W was fully touring in North America. Uh, I would imagine it's quite a bit higher than that, uh, for this occasion. You have something else there?
2: Uh, trying to find this, uh, oh, yeah, here we go. Unopened, uh, in the freezer dry ice. One thousand dollars. <laughs> one thousand dollars. Somebody selling one that's still intact. That's uh, some are selling them unwrapped but melted for about eighty dollars. Unwrapped. Uh, unwrapped.
0: Wait, 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 wait. And the- unwrapped but but melted. What is it like in a Tupperware container? What what are we talking about here?
2: This says, unopened CM Punk. uh... Ice cream bar, new unwrapped AEW ice cream bar, but this one mentions nothing about it being shipped on dry ice or being still intact, or the other one said it would be still intact. So, yeah, so I'm assuming this is an $80 melted ice cream bar.
3: <laughs>
2: Wrestling merchandise, it's it's an all-time high. <laughs>
0: yes. Okay. Uh, that's... I think that's Rampage for now. We could quickly go over uh some of the ratings that we have i've, I've discussed this on youtube already on thursday evening i, I did another live tv ratings talk on the wrestlenomics youtube and we would really appreciate it if you subscribe to wrestlenomics on youtube uh check those out i'll probably as i was saying maybe i'll do one monday evening but
1: yeah here's the goal report
2: Alright, yeah, so we'll just talk about uh the, the fr- uh Friday, August thirteenth Smackdown. Uh that did uh a little over two million uh two point oh eight four million uh with a point five eight and the eighteen to forty nine. Uh compare that to raw from this week on August sixteenth, uh did one uh one point eight five seven uh with uh point five five and eighteen to forty nine and that was a little bit of a bump uh where it was uh four point four nine, eighteen to forty nine and uh Little under 1.8 million on August 9th. Uh, NXT, uh, the, the, uh, go home show for TakeOver, uh, 654,000 with the point five five point one five and in 1849. That was down, yeah. uh, from 750,000, uh, but in a 0.19 in 1849. So the, the buzz of the MBA, I say, after two weeks. Yeah.
0: Suggesting that the, that the first, um, that the previous week was sort of a rubberneck effect of uh I think related to the news of NXT turmoil that people were had NXT more top of mind and checked out the show that night.
2: Um uh dynamite uh you know uh with uh you know all this buzz happened what might be on rampage well they did nine hundred and seventy five thousand uh, with a .35 and eighteen to forty nine that was down very slightly from the week before with nine hundred eighty thousand and as well as a point three five and eighteen to forty nine and uh impact. Yeah, basically an equal number
0: cards. despite despite a stronger card. Uh the number of the previous week was a little bit dis- disappointed, but they were against the, the the newly added challenge to the lineup. Uh but uh, same, very similar number here, basically equal in total viewership, same demo rating, uh but stronger lineup with what MJF and Jericho in the main event,
2: um but same viewership. And I can imagine they end up back over a million this week, my prediction. Uh, and then, uh, for Impact, uh, 126,000, uh, with P2+, point oh four in 1849. Week before it was 120,000 with a .04. And, uh, just one other wrestling related program, Heels, which debuted, uh, this past week did 128,000 in 1849 it was a .02 rating with, uh, 23,000 viewers. Um, now, Keep that in mind that this was a show that they put on their streaming device before they actually yes. aired it. The I've I've been,
0: I've been told that, that that it's on streaming. I've been told in, in in my Twitter replies that this this was also available streaming. I've heard.
2: Uh, the I, impact. I, I, was, I the was actually watching it this since, morning.
0: Since June. Oh, do, do, is it good? I've heard there's there's a lot of talk about
2: scripts. There, you know, there's there's some scripted. liberties of scripts. Yes, there's some scripts and stuff. Some of it's kind of. Real, but then so the indie wrestling in you and me—it's me it's about indie wrestlers, like
0: right? Like they're that's that's the, the yes the setting. They're indie wrestlers. Have you ever been handed a script in indie wrestling?
2: <laughs> Absolutely not. By the way, he runs a weekly Sunday night wrestling show. Okay. Clearly, there's not an athletic commission he's dealing with. <laughs> Cost in level. Georgia, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you're going back oh, to Impact. It, I'm sorry, got uh, you out there.
0: I- impact was, this was, this impact was just slightly over what it was last week, but this happened to be the highest one. Highest viewership since June. Uh, maybe Christian driving some interest here, uh, who won the Impact title, uh, on the first Rampage. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's think a little bit about Dynamite this week. Yeah, I agree. Over a million. Um, does it do better than whatever, let's say Rampage really is, you know, 1.1 million in change. Does it do better than that? There's so much I feel like I don't know here, and I, I, I did want to talk about the degree to which I don't really know what kind of draw. I've grown to hate that, that term, because I don't know. Because you, you get so many people who are obviously just fans of such and such wrestler, and they want to talk about how such and such wrestlers are draw, or, or, you know, or, or, or the same thing in the negative. Um, uh, as, uh, have you listened to, to the Between the Sheets Patreon thing about the Summer of Punk 2011? Yeah. And, and, they, and they go over it. And I, and I brought this up in the live stream on Thursday. That you know, if you look at the look at the, look at the raw ratings in, in uh, summer of 2011, they don't really react to to the pipe bomb promo or to the Money in the Bank event in any abnormal positive way. Uh, it's pretty pretty lukewarm results in, in the raw ratings. So it's not as if I mean this this thing that people remember very fondly and remember as one of these exciting historic moments in pro wrestling of, of, of the last 10 years. That, that was 10 years ago too, by the way.
2: 10 years ago. Yep. Can you believe that? It was but, the era of Pawn Stars killing it in the re. <laughs>
0: that's yes, yes. Chris are fond of, of of reminding us, Pawn Stars <laughs> yes. was on top. Um, yeah. It so it's not like this had immediate positive business results, at least in terms of a TV rating. I'm I'm sure Punk did well in, in merchandise, but, but yeah, there, you don't see the evidence in the TV rating. So what's going to happen now, ten years later? Um, is CM Punk this big draw now? Is he was he not before? And I feel like CM Punk is such a black box to me in terms of trying to assess his economic contributions to 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 the to a wrestling product uh, like like AEW. I think he'll have for whatever TV rating effect he has. I think he'll have a, a, at least an equal, if not greater, effect on things like uh, pay per view buys. In terms of now, granted, it's got to be couched in the right way, and he's oh, I guess he's going to wrestle Darby Allen. Um, but uh, I think you get even more out of the passionate fan in, in terms of you know drawing people into to watch for free. Maybe one thing, and if you want to argue that, well, the casual fans care this much and the the hardcore fans care that much, well, maybe the hardcore fans, maybe they'll pay $50 uh, more so than the, than the general audience is willing to tune in to a wrestling show. But I think something that I never hear really talked about, and I think this is an increasingly relevant phenomenon in wrestling, as wrestling becomes not just about personality, um, I think it's, let's say, think about Bruno San Martino. Um, in, when, when was Bruno's prime? The sixties? Am I getting that right?
2: Uh, yeah, I would say sixties and seventies, but sixties.
0: And, uh, you know, if we, we brought, and then they did bring Bruno back in the eighties and he was, you know, he was in, he he did some feuds with, um, with, uh, Randy Savage, I think. My, my point is, yeah. yeah, my, my point is, I don't think Bruno San Martino, this far after his prime, that far after his prime means as much as a lot of other, a lot of wrestlers today mean at the same amount of time past their, I don't know, physical prime or original po- rise to popularity. Because the 80s, for example, and I feel that maybe Bruno's not the best example. Um, maybe like Luthes is a better example. I don't know. But we, we don't have, we didn't have in the 80s all this access to media. We didn't have Endless wrestling video libraries available to us. We had what was available in the 80s. I don't even know. I mean, we were barely alive. Uh, we might have had Blockbuster, right? You might have a video store that you could find a, a very limited selection of wrestling tape. Um, you, you, you got access to whatever you got access to on your TV. There was obviously no internet and so forth. And now today, it's it's so much easier to familiarize yourself and grow a passion for and an affinity for Intellectual property, if you will, which I kind of hate to put it that way. Intellectual property of, of wrestlers who are no longer actively performing. So I think another example of this is take Shawn Michaels in the mid nineties, uh, 1996. W D- not doing great financially in 1996. Shawn Michaels is the champion. Um, he's relatively popular in, in, in the WF. Um, he's respected by fans as, as a great performer. Uh, that's his prime. That's what I think of as his prime. And then of course he takes his absence, returns in the 2000s. And I would argue he's a far be- better draw, far bigger draw in the 2000s when he's well into his forties, uh, than he was in his prime because you got all of these people who used to be kids in the mid nineties. Let's say they're adults. They've got spending power now. They're, they're willing to go to WrestleMania and spend a, a couple hundred dollars or more on a WrestleMania ticket to see him wrestle the undertaker, for example. Um, because as time goes on, this nostalgia grows our our ability to access media has exploded, and we're more able to uh i i I think would like think about all these remakes that that are made for for movies you know it doesn't it, that's different because it's we're not talking about an athlete here, but like they're they're gonna remake Superman and Batman movies forever you know and and it's almost as if, as if as time goes on here, no matter how many times they remake these movies. They do bigger and bigger box offices. I, I, who knows? God, who knows what the future of, of, of theater going is going to be. I know. But up to this point, that, I think that's been the case. Um, the Star Wars, all, all these franchises that are decades old and they seem to do better business over time. And I think there's some similar effect for wrestling, which is a good thing for wrestling and also a problem for wrestling because then it tempts you to just go with the pat hand. And especially if you're kind of discomforted by, these kids today and these millennials who are kind of trepidatious, it, it, it tempts you to, you know, say, you know, all right, I'll, I'll I'll give this kid a chance and then give him a fake chance for four or six months. Uh, and then, then just go back to, go back to what makes you comfortable and to not really invest in new talent. And new talent has always been the thing that has been associated with the biggest explosions in wrestling business. Uh, whether that was Hulk Hogan in the eighties, Steve Austin, the rock in the nineties, uh, Antonio Inoki, Giant Baba in the seventies. Uh, yeah, the, the Three Musketeers in New Japan in the nineties. Okada in the twenty tens. Um, so, it we're we're I think we're we're kind of increasingly living in this time where it's easy to rely on legacy IP, if you will. Legacy is just a euphemism for old uh, in 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 media business talk. I found. Um, so, and and this is where maybe in some ways there's an important difference between what AEW has at its disposal and WWE has at its disposal. WWE is, is the company with the multi-decade legacy IP in their access. AEW has two years of legacy IP. Uh, they have some wrestlers who have been around for a long time, but in terms of a video library, uh, they don't have so much. And maybe that that motivates AEW that doesn't have a huge... Legacy to fall back on. Maybe that motivates AEW to, I'm overcomplicating this, but maybe that, that motivates AEW to, to produce new stars more so than it does, uh, WWE. But really, we're just overcomplicating the fact that Vince is an out to lunch cre- head of creative and Tony Khan is, is simply a competent one. And that's, that's what's happening. Um, but those are, those are the settings in which, um, they're producing wrestling TV, I guess.
2: Um, just a couple quick things. Uh, first before we forget for out of the TV readings, uh, dark side of the ring is coming back September 16th. So they, yes, they will you. be, uh, they will be into the uh, fold. And then also too, fightful did report this week that TNT was very excited about CM Punk. And I'm assuming that's also other opportunities as he is a pretty established actor now at this point, uh, especially in the horror and thriller movie circuit, possibly some synergy over there. Synergy. With synergy Media, with him, synergy. him being on a on that type of series, or, or I don't know if they still do ratings
0: are great. But, there, what, about but. what about synergy? Yeah. So synergy, um, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Uh The SmackDown number on Friday, we don't know. I'm not going to venture to guess. There was more NFL preseason programming uh, preempting uh, SmackDown, not in as many markets as last week. We've only got Fox. Uh, preempting in it looks like Baltimore, Washington, Louisville and Lexington. We had a lot more markets the, the previous week. But it, it but the the prelim there there was a more the Saturday
2: that, games, that's why. There are more sorry. Saturday games. There's more Saturday. Yeah. But go ahead, sorry. okay.
0: Um the prelim rating, which I've learned this is what we have to call it. Not fast affiliate, no one knows what that means even though that means that's more technical terminology. Not overnight because there's no reason that anybody thinks that overnight doesn't mean accurate, right? preliminary rating that's 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 the word to use i think um but the preliminary rating would indicate that from 8 to to 10 fox was being watched by 2.2 million viewers which would be a pretty big rating for smackdown what smackdown been doing lately let's go to the spreadsheet smackdown uh the previous week did uh about 2.1 million week before that almost 2.2 million so this is possible i suppose 2.2 uh 2.0 million 2.1 million So, uh, I don't know. I know a lot of people have the theory that, um, uh, people turn their TVs on on Friday night, you know, before 10 o'clock and we're thinking about wrestling and decided to turn on Fox to see what SmackDown was up to. Um, uh, I, I I did that, but sometimes I do turn on SmackDown regardless, uh, uh, against my own, uh, happiness and interest, but yeah, we'll see. I could see the rating being, it's obviously not gonna be the huge difference that it was last week between the prelim and the final, but I imagine it's gonna be at least slightly lower. And we'll, we'll find out at the same time we find out about the rampage rating on Friday or on Monday afternoon.
2: All right. Uh, just moving on to the uh, dynamite, uh quarter hour breakdown of uh, viewers in the thousands. And uh, if you want to go into deeperness but it looks like the, uh, the P two highest uh, segment was the uh, final minutes of, uh, of Rosen Ford and then uh, Malachi black video. And then Arnon and Brock Anderson interview. As well as a Miro video, uh, and then the, uh, first two minutes, I'm Jeff Chris Yergo. There's also a Moxley promo too. So a lot of, a lot of, uh, promos in that. Uh, and yeah. that, also, yeah. yeah. And, but the f- highest, uh, 18 to 49 was the first segment, which was, uh, Garcia and 2.0 attacking Moxley Kingston and then the Sting and Darby, uh, Allen versus 2.0, as well as the Sammy Guevara yeah. engagement.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't see huge takeaways here to have. I think, Quarter hours tempt people to hyperanalyze what's happening and to draw conclusions that confirm their biases. But um, nonetheless, I report them. <laughs> but, uh, I, I do think there is a takeaway to have here about this this Thunder Rosa um, match. Where is that? That's in Q6, uh, the seven minutes of it, and then the finish in Q9. Or Q7, rather. Uh, Q7 was the peak of this show in total viewership and was... A little bit of an increase. Got pretty consistent eighteen forty nine viewership here, but uh, there's two quarters here that do over a million. It's Q six and Q seven. Those are mainly Q Q six mainly consists of the Thunder Rosa and uh, Penelope Ford match, and then the following quarter for one minute consisted of the finish. And uh, Q seven is usually the low point. Um, it's more often the low point I think than any other quarter. So I think it, I think it's encouraging of uh, the, the idea that the Thunder Rosa. Um,
2: it's a draw. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, I don't know if you want to go over the 18 to 49 chart. No. Okay. Yeah. You skip Screw that? those line graphs. All right. Yep. All right. Uh, we'll go to, uh, the live event, uh, bar graphs that you have here, uh, starting with the, uh, past live events. If you want to break that down.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's, let's just, let's talk about, um, what AW and WB have been averaging. Now that we have quite a few shows here, um, We've got raw averaging. This is according to all. All this data is according to Tick's estimate. Um, raw is averaging uh, over nine thousand tickets distributed. SmackDown is averaging nine thousand eight hundred. I, sh- I should brown these. Raw is averaging nine thousand one hundred. SmackDown is averaging nine thousand eight hundred. A lot of this is market dependent. To be fair, super shows, which are euphemisms for house shows,
1: in the hobby Off again, that's arena club.com slash VOW net, arena club.com slash VOW net for ten percent off your first purchase on Arena Club, and we thank them for sponsoring the Voice of the Wrestling Podcast Network.
0: Uh is averaging sixty-five hundred, which is pretty good. That's that's definitely on the high end, and where we are now we are still in the era of pent-up demand, apparently. Uh and uh Dynamite, at this moment, is averaging about 4,000 even, just under that, 4,000. Rampage, we've only got two examples of Rampage, and, and those happen to average to 10,000. So, total tickets distributed between the two, WWE, 166,000. AEW, at less than a third of that, with 55,000. So there's that. Um We can talk about the... uh Russell Ticks did put this little uh, table together. Uh, the most highly attended AEW shows up to this point in the company's history. Uh, number one is now the United Center Chicago, August 20th, this past Friday with 14,376, which edges out, um, the attendance for Washington. This is an early, this is the debut of Dynamite uh, with 14,129. Um, Newark, New Jersey, I think I think it's going to rank number three here. And September 22nd, which is September where are they this week? Do you know off the top of your head?
2: Uh don't
0: don't worry about it. Um but but New Newark is coming up in September, New York, New Jersey. That'll probably rank number three. And then September twenty second, Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York City will become number one, uh based on the tickets that are already distributed for that event. Uh yeah, here it is. September fifteenth is Newark, New Jersey.
2: Uh, they are in Milwaukee, oh, and then followed by nice. the followed by the uh three Chicago shows. Okay, with a uh, Dynamite Rampage and All Out. Okay,
0: how how loud am I in your earphones your right now? I'm just normal, hearing a little bit of an echo. And now it's time for the Nick Khan section of the podcast. Nick Khan, have you seen this this week? Nick Khan was all over the place. Did you listen to any of the Nick Khan yeah, interviews? Um, really, only i, I to listened to at this moment.
2: I, I I listened to the clip that you sent me, but I also I I, I saw the the tagline line and Twitter open for business. <laughs> um, you know uh, from that interview as well. I'm not sure it was the same interview, but and the
0: stock reacted. We got SB Nation out here pushing the headline. Stock is up two and a half percent. S and P 500 just barely above even because Nikon said open for business. And I think he's, uh, he did an, he did an interview with Peter Kafka, uh, for Recode Media, which was, a, which I'm going to brag is a podcast that I already listened to. Um, but I didn't, but I don't always listen to it as soon as it comes out. So it, it had been like a day, um, since, the, since that po- podcast had published and somehow I had not seen on Twitter or the internet that that podcast was out there. Uh, missed it by a whole day, but I have listened to it in its entirety. Um, Nikon did a, for BT Sport did an interview with Ariel Hawani, his former client. Uh, and that might be out there as we record this, but I have not listened to it yet. Uh, where he's at least in, it looks like in one clip, uh, trying to temper open for business and trying to, uh, urge people back to sanity. Uh, as, as by the way, can we get an update, Chris Gullo? Has AW been, or has, has WB been acquired? By a major wrestling company yet, or by goddamn, by it by a major media company.
2: Not yet, yeah, but it's that. a weekend. You know, you, know, you never know. Okay, stuff moves uh, slower the weekend.
0: <laughs> okay, WB Corporate, by the way, set a new record for the number of press releases put out in a single week. Do you want to go over some of these highlights here? These are these are expert excerpts from just a few of the press releases that uh, I got emailed. Yeah.
2: Uh, first off, WWE 2K. 2-2 uh, releases March, 2022. By the way, side note on that. Did you happen to see the news media clip uh, where they were showing the Taliban take over Afghanistan and one of the cars that were driving had a W2K decal on it? What? <laughs> I'll have to send it to you. Yes. I'll have to send it to you. Um, but yeah, so w W2, 2 W W2K, 22 2 releases March, 2022. Um, uh, also, the re- release regarding Spotify, Spotify, uh, the Ringer, Spotify Studio, uh, and WWE will launch an exclusive audio network as part of a multi-year audio content partnership. The companies announced today as part of the deal, the Ringer and WWE will also collaborate to develop new audio content exclusively for the Spotify platform and the Ringer website. In addition, uh, existing WWE audio programming, which offers a unique look at WWE both in the Ring and beyond, will become available exclusive. ...on Spotify, so I'm assuming the New Day Podcast, Corey Graves, all that. Uh, The Ringer will be expanding its wrestling coverage. Uh, The current feed for the show The Masked Man Show, hosted by David Schumacher and Kaz, will rebrand to The Ringer Wrestling Show... ...and will continue on that feed alongside new programming with WWE personalities. Uh, Together, The Ringer and WWE will collaborate on a new original podcast series, including a series from WWE personality... ...Evan Mack, Mack Mania, and a narrative series by Bill Simmons... Utilizing Spotify green room hosts will uh, be going live after every major WWE pay-per-view with the final rooms becoming podcast for the ringer wrestling show. Uh, and then uh, let's, let's they, talk about uh, it. Made it um, yeah. Yeah. Go on. So I don't
0: know. I have any idea how much this is, this is worth. And, and by, by the way, I heard some cynicism, misunderstanding here that this would be a, a deal that WWE is paying Spotify for, for the exposure or something, which I'm, Almost certain it's not what's happening here. Uh, this, this is a licensing deal. Okay. All, all these things that we're about to talk about here are the, are the array of, of licensing opportunities that Nikon is capitalizing on for WWE. Uh, how much they are all worth, the probably what, what, what stock analysts call incremental revenue, s- small increases compared to same, same year prior, um, or same period prior year. Um, so. It, it, it is something that at least on one earnings call, I remember being brought up uh, by a by an analyst. You know, when are you going to make a deal in the podcasting space? Seems like they're you know be, the W would be a good fit for that. So, not a huge surprise that they would do this, um, and uh, they're probably getting something for it. Um, Spotify has um, been
2: very aggressive with uh, acquiring exclusive content, like such as the Joe Rogan deal. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Oh, good good time to make our disclosures here. I have Spotify shares. You have W shares.
2: I do. I no longer have WWE shares. You oh, you're out. When, when I'm you out. Sell? I bought more. When I bought sell? more Dogecoin. Uh like when, when, probably when, a week and a half ago. When when you were really
0: putting over it, how how valuable W is is as a company, was that when you sold, sold them? <laughs> Remember that? Remember that when you were like, man, this company is great.
2: I, I, I you'll have to you have to find the audio clips for that. <laughs> but, so, uh, no, uh, I, I, I ended up, it, it wasn't moving much, so I ended up selling it, and then I saw Dogecoin was really low, and I'm like, yeah, I might as well just go all in, and, uh, Dogecoin has been doing absolutely awesome. Like, it has been on a big increase. Let me get this straight.
0: You, you cashed out on WWE. Did you make a gain, by the way?
2: Uh, very small gain. Okay. Big Pro- gain, so small like, gain. Yeah.
0: So Chris Gullo made some money on, uh, on WWE, full disclosure. Uh, but then he transferred, he liquidated and transferred that capital
2: over, over to the Doge. So Doge fell in 19 and it's at 31 cents right now. So. Okay. Wonderful. Ruffle the belts. Yes. So, uh. MLB uh, replica belts in a multi-year partnership to create MLB-inspired WWE Championship title belts and accessories featuring the logos of all 30 Major League Baseball clubs from around North America. The new line of merchandise launches in 2022, marking the first time these items have been available for fans. This is the first official licensing agreement for WWE Championship title belts between WWE and the other major sports leagues. Um, As part of the agreement, MLB and WWE will collaborate to design and manufacture team-branded belts as well as belts that collaborate some of the league's jewel events, such as the World Series, All-Star Game, and Home Run Derby. Additionally, the two sides will create custom side plates and unique Lucha Libre masks.
0: This is something that uh, Nick Khan hyped not in the most recent earnings call, but in the one before that in May that they had a deal with a major sports league coming. And uh here it is. More, more on jewel events later in the program.
2: Um, <laughs> I would imagine uh, that some other leaks probably fall through this and, and do this as well. You know, uh, I, the memo beam on up. I mean, the, the replica belts people talk about all the time when the like the players were having for the Super Bowl and stuff. So,
0: yes, as, as I say often, if you want to know why WWE championship belts are now just giant WWE logos that people strap around their belly buttons, that's why. So that everybody sees. WWE logo. NFTs.
2: Yeah, uh, we had the John Cena SummerSlam Gold, uh, NFT with the new Super Mario inspired logo, uh, that was going at a thousand, uh, and then, uh, we had the, uh, John, uh, Cena SummerSlam 21 Platinum, the, the title belt looked like it was almost a spinner title, uh, NFT. That, that was at 21,000 and that, that, uh, those are, uh, that auction ended. But we still have the, you could still buy one of the limited edition SummerSlam 2021 John Cena digital cards. So, uh,
0: yeah, it, 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 these, you can still get a John Cena NFT for $1,000. I know they, they put a lot of, uh, bells and whistles on this, like tickets and whatnot. Um, but yeah, the, the single item one, $21,000, uh, they decided to go with this, this offering of, uh, the limited edition and the one item, uh, as opposed to the, there were the undertaker NFTs at WrestleMania. There were three different, I think there was a gold, silver, platinum or something like that. Bronze, maybe there were four. Uh, so this is a more limited offering and, uh, NFTs seem to have cooled off, which, uh, I should, I should have looked this up beforehand, but what was the inventory to begin with on these, these John Cena limited edition items that there's still 454, uh, items left of, uh, so not selling out, maybe reflective of NFTs not being as uh, as much of a craze anymore.
2: All right, uh, we will uh, move on. Uh, just have a couple highlights of the week. Uh, we, we already talked about the NFTs, but uh, uh, the article from Sportico, if you want to get into that.
0: Uh, John Wall Street from Sportico did an article uh, where he had some comments from Nick Khan, basically hyping up all these things that we're talking about here. In terms of what, what WD has done to improve their product licensing line, which is, um, a line that they make over usually you know, well over $40 million of revenue in, in a given year. Um, and, uh, I think Nikon was hyping to, to John Wall Street that, you know, this is a, this is a quarter or this is a line of revenue that has really grown. And if you compare this to, uh, Q2 2019, non pandemic, it's up 20%. Uh, and, and I, do buy the idea that a lot of that may have to do with things that, uh, that Nikon is doing in terms of monetizing, uh, IP in, in different ways that have not, uh, been happening before for WWE. So, uh, and, uh, I, uh, I provided some numbers to, uh, to John Wall Street to, uh, to, uh, you know, help him understand what the difference really was in revenue over time.
2: Guys, just real quick, there was 500 NFTs of those gold. Uh, limited edition cards, and it was also the logo and everything they were using on the limited edition merchandise that you can uh, really? get for. Uh, yeah, these were limited edition Super Mario John Cena merchandise. So,
0: so they only sold forty six out of five hundred of these.
2: Yeah, right? and Yahoo Finance said they were. Yeah, <laughs> Yahoo Finance said they were listing five hundred of these NFTs. Jesus, all right. Um, moving on. All right. Uh moving on, uh we got an announcement that Money Money in the Bank 2022 will be at Allegiant Stadium. Uh pretty pretty big uh sta- stadium for a Money in the Bank event, and that will be July 4th, 2022. Yes.
0: Back to uh Nick hometown. July 4th for ratings has always been a bad time for WWE ratings. So I wonder how that will be reflected in the uh the the ticket sales might not be as 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 affected. Maybe the viewership, though. But they'll only tell us the viewership probably in a term of percent difference. And and if it's not a favorable uh, delta, then they probably won't tell us at all. So, but yeah, again, the days of knowing what pay-per-views do uh, in terms of media on an individual basis are increasingly behind us.
2: The news you've been waiting for, Brandon. When is Crown Jewel coming back? And it it will be back in October uh, of, of this year. Uh, and, uh, they really hooked it up on that promo package last night.
0: When I was watching. Yeah. Both, both this and the video game, uh, W2K22 announcement, uh, about the video game too. This was expected, I believe, to be out in the fall. The video game was supposed to be out in the fall, um, after, uh, they, they postponed it and came out with, um, Battleground, right? Battlegrounds? The sort of, um, yeah, arcade style game. Um, and, uh, so pushing this all the way back to the, to the early spring, to March, um, is interesting. And that's going to affect, uh, W revenues. You know, usually W gets, I I think in Q, well, in Q3 and Q4, probably both from the release and the timing uh, of the release being a few months before the holidays. Uh, W's not going to have a new console game to put out. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe some of these deals that Nikon is making to monetize the IP will offset some of that. Uh, postponed revenue. Uh, Crown Jewel. Chris Cole, how much does WWE make from the kingdom of Saudi Arabia every time they go to Saudi Arabia?
2: You might be wrong on the total. $46 million? I know it's in that range. $50 million. $50 million. Okay. Uh, forty-six million for some reason is sticking out to me. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, $50 million.
0: So it just so happens that Brock Lesnar and uh, and, and Bill Goldberg are back in town. For WWE um, I'm sorry did we say Saudi Arabia yeah I meant large-scale international event excuse me
2: oh um, yeah, yeah yeah
0: yes um, and, and and it's interesting to, to note that Brock Lesnar and Becky Lynch are both apparently on Smackdown with Brock Lesnar coming out to do a confrontation with Roman Reigns who's on Smackdown and Becky Lynch coming out to win the Smackdown women's title both of those returning talents going to Fox not Raw not USA
2: just in time for the uh, season premiere, which will probably be in a few weeks, as Fox likes to put on when they come back in September. <laughs> That's right. Not when they come back, but they're usually their first or second September show. Mm-hmm. All right. So, yeah, you want to talk about uh, some comments from these Nick Khan. Uh, and we'll first start with media deals that Nikon is uh, especially interested in.
0: Yeah, we've got a long clip here from the Peter Kafka interview he did. Uh, on the Recode Media podcast. Uh, so here's uh, this week, Nick Kahn talking to Peter
4: Kafka. be positive about the future of rights for this kind of stuff you're making. That said, we're, we're having this back and forth now for years about sports, but all content in general. Is, are the, val- is the value of this stuff going to keep going up and up and up, or eventually – are the networks, the streamers, whomever going to say we, we've reached a top? This It's no longer makes economic sense for us to pay for this stuff and or we can get a lot of this stuff much cheaper. How are you thinking about how that landscape is going to evolve?
3: I think that um, what you're seeing a little bit of or what we may see a little bit of is that the relative middle class of sports, rights. So, again, we're speaking relative terms here that that may get squeezed a little bit. So I'm curious to see what happens with Major League Soccer's deal. You know, the NFL obviously came during the pandemic mm-hmm. and, you know, kicked ass in terms of what they were able to get. That's no surprise. The NBA is coming up in a couple of years. Even with ratings a touchdown, we think the NBA is going to be in great shape. You saw, and again, with the disclosure that I was part of the process on the Southeastern Conference, they got big numbers uh, for their package, which they deserve all of that and more. I'm curious to see what happens with the Big 12, especially with Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC. Curious to see what happens with the Pac-12. You know, do those sort of fall into the middle bucket now, or do they stay top? Because
4: we've seen the rights go up and up and up year after year after year, and then and the ratings were kind of constant. And for a long time, we were told, "Well, it's still, even even if everything else is slowing down, sports is impervious." To the drop we're seeing across the rest of the cable and TV universe now, those have started to drop as well. And now the argument is, well, they're dropping, but it's still the only place you can reach these really big audiences, and that justifies it. And or, well, if you want to start a new streaming thing, you got to have this tent pole thing. But eventually, everyone will have launched, whatever they're going to launch. If the tech guys are going to get in, they'll have gotten in. It seems like uh, maybe the Asia is the next sort of argument. Like, oh, this will be this will work really well internationally. It does seem like eventually you can't keep arguing that. This thing, which has less people watching in it than it did 10 years ago, is worth X amount more.
3: I I think you've seen it in primetime scripted television, if you will. So, again, when you and I were kids and Archie Bunker did a 15 rating Mm -hmm. and made significant amount of money at that time for Norman Lear and the studio and everybody behind it. Now you're seeing shows in primetime that do a one in the demo where significant dollars are paid for that. So one-fifteenth, and again, the 15 million was the overall audience, but even less than one-fifteenth of what the audience was 30 years ago, still commanding top dollar. So I'm not sure that you've seen a mechanism come across for advertisers yet that is as effective as television and put the streaming component in there on the ad-supported tiers. It feels like it's going to be around at a high level for a long time.
4: And the other argument you hear, and I was talking with uh, uh, the guys from Men and Blazers about this, is that... Even the the smaller stuff with passionate audiences actually is, is 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 remains super relevant to the streamers because if Peacock is gonna work, it's not because everyone's gonna watch WWE. It's because a couple million people are gonna come for that, and someone else is gonna come for Premier League, and someone else is gonna come for The Office. That's the that's the premise. You need a, a handful. Maybe that maybe they're not all anchor tenants, but they all bring an audience with them.
3: Truly, and by the way, I, I listened to the podcast with Michael and, and Roger on it those guys are as across this stuff, in my opinion, in terms of knowing where it was, where it is and where it'll head as I'd like to think we might be. Um, so yeah, it's the smaller sports have made even more of an imprint because to get unique subscribers, you need something unique. And I think that's what a lot of these properties have to offer. So there's Nick Khan,
0: again, talking to Peter Kafka on one of my, my favorite podcasts, non wrestling podcasts. Um, so, what they're getting at there, a little bit, is how uh the middle class of TV rights fees might be affected in in time. What I hear people yell at me about sometimes is that the the media r- sports rights bubble is gonna burst. You know, how much longer can they really continue to get all these increases in TV rights fees? I'm I'm more optimistic that they'll continue to be able to get high TV rights fees. Um, in part for reasons that, that Nick Conn is talking about here, where he mentions, he talked about the demo too, by the way. He talked about the demo that matters. Uh, the, the, the demo he's referring to almost certainly is the P18 to 49 demo. Um, we've got, you know, the top programs on broadcast are doing about a 1.0 in the demo, which he points out is a 15th of, of what top programs were doing 30 years ago. Um, but, uh, the ad mechanism is very effective and, You got streaming starting to come in with, with their own uh, ad tier, including Peacock. Uh, but he, he, he's very interested to see how the MLS, the soccer rights go. He's interested to see how the Big 12, uh, goes, those TV deals for, for college football. And he's clearly positioning the NFL and the NBA as, is in, is in the upper class of sports rights. What's, what's, uh, conspicuous here though is, where does he, and as not touched on in, in this clip or, or in, in the interview uh overall, where does he view WWE sports rights? He's clearly publicly optimistic about WWE's ability to garner increasing media rights values over time, and I suspect he is privately, but it seems possible that WWE is in the middle class of of sports rights, which means that there is uncertainty about the ability for that class of sports rights to grow over time, which is... Interesting, to say the least.
2: All right, uh, and then, uh, we got a nice little chart of the gauge of, uh, and this is from Nielsen. It's a total TV and streaming st- snapshot, which is really interesting. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, in a total day with two or more people in a house and the breakdown in, uh, cable still doing 38%, but, uh, streaming 28%. Broadcast 24% and then other was under 10%.
0: Yes. So as as everyone knows, Chris Gullo, no one watches linear TV anymore. Just old people, which this is not broken down by age. But here we have the majority of TV watch time. This is, this is, uh, this is called Nielsen's total TV and streaming snapshot. So I think this means not just television, television and set watching, but this would, I read to include mobile devices and tablets as well and laptops and computers, etc. Yet here we have what's 24 plus 38%. That is let's see 42 plus 20 is 62% is happening through either cable or broadcast what we call linear TV. For those that don't know broadcast TV just means uh, your basic channels like ABC, CBS, uh, NBC, Fox, CW majority. Still happening, uh, through linear TV when, when, uh, you know, I've got young people, probably anonymous teenagers with avatar, uh, profile photos telling me that the ratings don't matter. And I would like to see the YouTube numbers about this because nobody watches linear TV anymore. Um, now granted, yes. This is going to change over time, and, I, and I'm sure it has been changing over time, that streaming is occupying a greater portion of this pie chart, and will continue to occupy a, a larger portion of this pie chart over time. Um, but the majority of TV watching is still through linear TV, um, people age two and above. Um, so there's that. I wanted to talk to though, related to this, um, about why P2 Plus matters. Um, cause I had a discussion with, with Joe Lanza and he has had a discussion about our discussion. So I just wanted to explain, uh, expand on my thoughts about why, yes, the demo matters. The demo matters to Tony Khan, to Nick Khan, to everybody, to Stephanie McMahon. She mentioned, mentioned it too recently, right? 18 to 49 is what sells uh, a lot of, a lot of the ads. Nobody buys ads based on P2 plus, but I don't buy this idea that P2 plus doesn't matter and shouldn't matter. To, to To anybody in particular. Um, I know AEW, uh, Tony Khan and AEW only care about the key demo, but I don't understand why. Uh, P2 Plus, Chris Gallo, do, do you do you have cable?
2: I do not. What do you have? Do you, you have just streaming services? Streaming services, and, uh, I may or may not use someone's cable login to log into networks, uh, what? streaming services.
0: Alright, I'm gonna call the FBI, but, but anyway. A lot of people, 80 million people in this country still subscribe to cable and satellite. That's, that's declining, but that's 80 million people. And, uh, if there's anybody listening here who has a cable subscription, you know that that's not cheap. Uh, and you know that the customer service is probably terrible and, and there's terrible communication about what the different offerings are. And it's difficult to get out of, get, to get out of your, your, your bill or your contract or whatever, because it's not in their interest to make this easy and free of friction for you. They want you to, to not have, to, to not think about, uh, changing your plan, trimming it down or canceling it because these cable businesses or satellite businesses, in the case of DirecTV and Dish Network, are very profitable businesses. They're businesses that are gradually declining, but they're profitable businesses. Uh, Netflix is a profitable business. You know, it's not a profitable business. Peacock. Uh, you know, it is a profitable business. Uh, Xfinity Comcast. Uh, so when we, when we talk about the ad advertising and this relates to the key demo, right? Nobody buys an ad based on the P2 plus rating. Absolutely. People buy ads based on the demo ratings of 1849 or some other demo. Uh, that's, that's nice for a cable network. Cable networks make money through selling ads that air during their programs. You know where cable, cable networks make more of their money though? You know where they make the most of the, the majority of their money? Not through ads, through carriage fees that they charge. Cable systems like DirecTV and Dish Network and Spectrum and Comcast Xfinity. TNT charges those carriers to carry Turner Networks. That makes up the majority of the revenue. That makes up about two-thirds of the revenue. You know it makes about one-third of their revenue? Ads. You know what's supporting this profitable system? People, everybody over the age of two that lives in a household that uses a linear TV subscription. You know what the most popular video service is in the United States. It's not Netflix. It's not Hulu. It's not Disney plus. It's not HBO max. It's not YouTube. It's the linear TV bundle that people pay not, not nine a month for That people pay, you know, upwards of a hundred dollars a month in some cases for depending on what your, your tier is and what your package is. And I know there's internet bundled in there and phone, et cetera, but this is a huge business and it's a profitable business. It is a declining business. And that's why all of these media companies are scrambling to, to get a streaming service to catch, the, the 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 shrinking profits that they're still making off of cable TV they need a lifeboat to transfer these declining uh, profits from but let's talk about P50 plus even though yeah there's these P50 plus people that and you know tons of them watch raw and, and and NXT and blue bloods and god knows what else fox news and their ad eyeballs are not worth nearly as much as people in 18 to 49 that's true but you know what people over the age of 50, how they also contribute to TV, they pay their cable bills every month. okay? And and if they're over the age of 50, what's the life expectancy in this country? It's about 78, right? They're not going to die within the term of, most of them are not going to die in the term of, of a wrestling contract, uh, a wrestling TV contract, which is four, f- four years in the case of AEW with the option, and it's five years in the case of WWE. So this idea that one should only care about the demo I don't understand. And uh, if if total viewership doesn't matter, then sure, I, I guess I can understand why the ne- why the the, the the wrestling companies, for example, or the NFL would talk about P two plus because that's the bigger number than eighteen to forty nine. Even though perhaps the I, I mean I, I would I would I would tend to agree that the eighteen forty nine is more valuable. But what I don't understand and don't agree with is the, the notion that P two plus just doesn't matter. It's the bigger number to offer in, in, in PR. But then you still got media journalists like John O'Ran from the Sports Business Journal who talk about total viewership far more often than they talk about 18 to 49. They talk about 18 to 49 sometimes too, but they talk about um, total viewership as well. Why does WWE put P2 plus in their key performance indicator slides? Their P18 to 49 is, is far more exceptional in, in the greater landscape of television viewing yet they put P2 Plus in their slides. If AEW wants to only ever negotiate in the United States with Turner, and if, and if Turner truly just totally dismisses P2 Plus, let's assume that that's true and that they only care about what happens for viewers between the ages of 18 to 49. Great. But I don't know that that's the strategy of every other TV network in the United States. And is AEW just sort of surrendering to this idea that they're never going to do business with anybody outside of the Turner universe or the Warner Media slash Discovery universe? Wouldn't it behoove them to be valuable to other potential suitors? Or maybe it's just the case that AEW never sees itself broadcasting outside of the Warner Media slash Discovery space in the future because the long game is maybe just to be acquired by that company in the end. So I think that's... That's that's my view on it, and I think it's it's our job to not just relay the thoughts of the executives in wrestling, but to put to scrutinize how they look at look at the media business and look at their business, and I don't know to question why why they look at it that way when it doesn't make sense when I look at the total picture. I, I but I'm I'm more than happy to be corrected, and I'll relent if um if we can find uh, some other examples of people who are not. Employed by AEW or talking directly to people at AEW who are as big a champions of this notion that PC plus doesn't matter. I only care about the key demo. I love you, Jill. Lanza.
2: All right. Yeah. So uh, we have some comments from triple H from the tryouts, uh, which uh, just didn't know had to be tryouts. Uh, there were some independent talents signed, but the mo- they were mostly connected to a wrestling school such as Booker T's. Uh, I know the one uh, w- woman who was a Las Vegas native, she had experience on wow women are wrestling, but hasn't wrestled in two years uh, on a match. Um, but uh, not, not, not the usual uh, indie names you hear getting signed out of things like this. Um, and, but Triple H was asked a question regarding yes. the direction NXT. Awesome. Here's Triple H
0: as we uh, kind of discussed last week. Is Triple H going to do a media conference call like he always does before the takeovers? Is he going to do a, is he going to take questions from the media in this environment? And the answer is no. Well, okay. He will, but try out questions only. Okay. So here's Triple H, uh, talking in Las Vegas to, to the wrestling media about the tryout. And, and, uh, this is, um, this clip comes from Ariel Hawani. I don't know who's asking the question though. We don't, we don't hear the question, but he's talking about, he seems to be alluding to the the idea that they, you know there's been news reports out there about how the developmental philosophy in WWE is changing. We've heard of reports that Vince wrote, wrote a memo or something to somebody saying no more midgets and he wants tall people and young people and uh, as opposed to maybe people on the indies or something. So here's Triple H seeming to address that.
2: Funny thing, people talk about the shifting of what it is. it, it never really shifted. Right? So if you if you go back and you look at the hiring process, not hiring process of a television show, hiring process of who we are looking to train and make WWE superstars, mm-hmm. right? Long term, um, if you go back and you look at that, it, it hasn't shifted. It's been the same process. I'm not. I'm, I don't negate anybody, right? And and um, from from a standpoint of like, well, I wrestled some independent stuff. All right, you're out. You know, like it. it that's not a factor to me.
0: So there's Triple H Bolovac, uh, saying, Noth- nothing, nothing's, nothing's different here. Everything's the same. There's nothing different. This it reminds me of this one time when I was, uh, it was the late nineties and, uh, my, my friend and I were, were, were big wrestling fans and, I uh, went over to his house and we, I was probably 13, 12, something like that. And, uh, it was probably like 98, right? So wrestling is getting pretty popular and, uh, his mom, was leaving to go somewhere and was leaving us home alone. And she told us that we were not allowed to wrestle uh, each other in the living room, which which we clearly wanted to do and had done in the past or something. So as soon as she left, uh, we started to throw each other around with our version of professional wrestling in the living room. Uh, she saw this commotion from the car as she was pulling out of the driveway, pulled back in, stormed back in the house, and screamed her head off at us. And we were like, no, 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 we weren't doing anything. We weren't doing anything. There's nothing. No, there's nothing different here. We weren't doing anything. Um, and that's
2: what this clip reminds me of. Uh, <laughs> what I think you understand, too, is not just people are questioning the direction of, you know, obviously what they're going for signings, but just let's look at tonight, for example. You know, Las Vegas has a ton of suitable-sized aren- arenas Connected to the casinos, where they could have had takeover, but where is it? It's at the Capitol Wrestling. That's right. They're yeah. they're devaluing their own interest in, in the like to the fans. Like it's not like the fans are like oh I don't want like you know I listen. There was there was a lot of independent shows this weekend in Las Vegas. I'm sure you would have garnered a pretty good crowd for Adam Culver's Kyle O'Reilly. Yeah,
0: it's it's interesting the 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 lack of any attempt at doing a live event uh, beyond the performance center. Well, by the by the way, um. I think it was fight, maybe it was, maybe it was the observer that reported that the, the relationship with full sale is over. Since so they're not even doing that. Um, but you can see the cost savings. Why, 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 uh, pay to be at full sale when you can, when you can just run it out of the PC and you're already, you already have the overhead on the, on the PC anyway. Um, but yeah, unless they just think that these events that they would run, whether it's a takeover event or even, even sort of the national tour, I understand they don't want, I've heard people, uh, Say they they can't do the Florida loop because uh the, the idea that the Delta variant is out here and there's so many unvaccinated people in Florida. But what, whatever the case, you would think that and and those Florida loop events are probably not profitable. I think they're more likely to not be profitable because those are very small audiences of just a few hundred, right? But you, but I wonder why not attempt to do the house shows uh, on a national tour like they used to do, and and maybe those wouldn't be very profitable either. Um. But even that, so let's take it to a third level here, as you're saying here, Golo, why not try to do a takeover Like that, you know, you could have, we've got over 45,000, uh, people in, in Allegiant stadium for, uh, this show. Maybe the idea that you, you wouldn't get that many because it's a Sunday instead of the Saturday before, and people are more likely to leave because the big event has already happened, um, but uh
2: yeah, but you're in, you're in a city with so many suitable sized venues, five thousand seat arenas and stuff like that. You're in a lot of, like you could have did something. It's
0: like almost that. as if they they
2: don't want it to succeed anymore, <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. Or, or you know,
0: yeah, yeah. they're devaluing yeah, interest.
2: They are devaluing interest in their product, like on purpose. It almost seems like. Mm-hmm. And then I've noticed. I, I don't like know that. if you. Did, Oh, seriously, I don't know if they're not paying much attention to it, but 205 live is pretty much became their B show for NXT. Like it's not really cruiserweights. It's just like guy, younger guys from NXT wrestling. Josh Brings is out there. That they don't, <laughs> Joe Gacy wrestled like guys like that. Like that they're not featuring very strong in NXT TV, but they're on the NXT roster. So it's pretty much became the main event of of NXT.
0: And, and just some, some thoughts on developmental, um, generally. Um, I think what we see in happening, um, in AEW, granted, AEW, I know, I know AEW's viewership is about half of what Raw and SmackDown's is. Um, but AEW's viewership is certainly bigger than NXT, which is maybe developmental now. Are we, are officially acknowledging it as developmental? So AEW is something more than developmental. Um, it's something that is, that is, Attracting a TV rights fee of, of you know, about forty-four thousand, forty-four million dollars a year. Um, NXT is attracting something far less than that, and and AEW stands in a position to, I, th- I think at, at this moment, if all things are equal, in a couple of years from now, to get a a multiplication of its TV rights values uh, in the future. But anyway, my, my point is, um, this is not developmental. This is really lucrative television, um, and you've got people uh, on on AEW TV. Uh, talent on AWTV that I, I can only imagine if they were in the WWE system would not be in a similar comp- or comparable position in WWE right now. I'm, I'm thinking of the MJFs, the Darby Allens, and more recently, Daniel Garcia's, who, disclosure, I, you know, we trained Daniel Garcia at Grapplers, but it just s- speaks to this, this sort of mythical idea that you need to be in developmental, uh, even if you're an indie guy, to be there for you know maybe a few years before we can really say that you're ready and it just slows down the process i think of star development and that you're you're going to have this person sit down here and developmental because you think they don't you think they're not prepared or something it's it it doesn't make sense to me besides the fact that you've got uh somebody who doesn't know how to evaluate talent very well at the top anyway who's probably going to squander them uh especially if they're not very tall um which is, it's, it's such an expose of WWE developmental that we're seeing before our eyes in, in just the TV that, uh, AEW, uh, is, is putting out. Um, I believe that the Indies and Japan and Mexico and the whole non-WWE industry, uh, which is free of any internal cost to any wrestling company, by the way, uh, is a better developmental system than the one WWE spends millions of dollars to uphold. Um, I mean, you, you can put, Division one athletes, or you can put non division one athletes like MJF and Darby Allen and Daniel Garcia on TV without having them do compound movements in a million dollar facility or, you know, housing them for two to five years before they, they move up to the main roster. It's like the whole notion that, uh, W developmental, um, it just, it proves to be more about reinforcing, I think, in effect, more about reinforcing a hierarchy, uh, and more about reinforcing their supposed unquestionable wisdom and they're sort of holding their nose, arrogance about, you know, the, the indies that, that comes from the incumbent class of executives and legendary veterans. Um, it's more about that than it is about preparing wrestlers to truly become stars that draw money, brother. Um, you know, when they're just going to take that talent and, you know, graduate them up to a creative environment. That's not going to know how to evaluate them well or tell sensible long term stories that are going to be in the best interest of cultivating their star power anyway. Um so yeah.
2: Alright. Um with that, uh just uh hey, it's uh Summerslam happened and can you get everything on WWE, uh that network had on Peacock? Uh I don't think so.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's see. This might break our our test stream here. But uh there is a Twitter account. Somebody running a Twitter account that has been keeping an Excel spreadsheet um, that I will display on the screen, and we are at as of I think this is yesterday. So so yesterday was SummerSlam. Ninety-two um, percent of the titles that were on the standalone WWE network are now on Peacock. Most of what's missing are the hidden hidden gems. There's basically no hidden gems on there. Um, there's as of yesterday, one episode of SmackDown missing out of the 1,100 episodes of SmackDown. Um, what else is missing? There are some some things in the originals category that are missing. 80% of that is there. But 10,282 titles out of 11,125 have made it to Peacock. Most of it is there, including a lot of the territorial stuff. Uh, but some of it is not.
2: Um all right, and then uh did we touch on last week that, that report surfacing that a couple years ago that WWE did try to buy CMLL? I can't remember if we touched on that last week or not. Um I don't know. We probably cause know it was not. out there yeah, last I... week. Um just I, so I know was, they, they talked about it we, last week was, at Figure Four Weekly.
0: Was was that an It was just due to or
2: the or arena was... thing it was figure f yeah, I think well I think it was kind of rehashing what, what Dave brought up in two thousand nineteen, but uh let's see here. I know they mentioned it in Figure Four Weekly, and uh, that got a little bit of traction. But this hasn't happened is, in a couple years. Is there years. still a
0: Figure Four Weekly?
2: Um, well, it's just Figure, Figure Four Weekly Four Online. Week uh, I'm not sure. It, it just it says it's credit to Figure Four Weekly Online um, Yeah, but while not known. Uh, there were a few talks a few years back uh, of WWE buying CMLL. Uh, WWE wanted to run Mexico with the idea it could get the cream of the crop talent in Mexico and then groom some of them for the U.S. market. The belief was that if they owned CMLL and got all the top talent, that AAA wouldn't be able to keep its talent and they would have the best of both. Uh, where the deal fell apart was CML to sell. They wanted selling the arenas as part of the deal, and WWE didn't want to own so many older arenas.
0: W did not want to own Arena Mexico and Arena Coliseo.
2: <laughs> yeah. Buildings too, but yeah. It was something Dave originally reported a couple years back, but but yeah. it, I found it interesting that they just came down the pike recently. Yeah, where that, that, Remember Nick Khan said in, the in the his interview. Of,
0: yeah. In the interview we did with Colin Cowherd where he mentions that they're interested in, in expanding into Mexico, not that they want to acquire either of the two companies, alluding to AAA and CMLL. So, maybe that's what he had in mind, with some knowledge that WB was, uh, in 2019 before Nick Combs and the company that they had discussed that. Um, yeah.
2: All right. Uh, any other, uh, final news and notes? Nope. I think this is, this is going to be the longest
0: episode we've ever done.
2: Yes.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Probably. And now it's time for plugs. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'll, uh, uh, I'll, I'll just. You go first. Yeah. I'll just plug myself real quick. Uh, Chris Gello, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Uh, but, uh, More importantly, Rediscovering Indies, the other podcast uh, I do. I'm a co-host of uh, RTI Pod on Twitter, Rediscovering Indies on Instagram and Facebook. We are launching a brand new episode on Wednesday. We're breaking down the history of the NWA title and a lot of NWA ownership news uh, from 2007 to 2017. Now this is gonna be a multi-parter, much like the XBWs were. So this first part covers a lot of fun stuff, though. The, the end of the relationship with TNA, uh, you know, what happened, why it dissolved, uh, it, we cover the, uh, at the NWA getting a TV deal with a Colors TV on the Dish Network. We cover NWA launching their own Mexican promotion to compete with AAA and CMLL NWA Mexico, as well as the very weird relationship with Ring of Honor when using their champion on the shows. And then we also cover uh, the Phillips Arena show that only drew 2,000 people. Uh, And the Philips Arena is huge. (laughs) So uh, we cover that and and, and so much more in just the first part, which will definitely be a multi-part. We haven't even gotten to... Bob uh, to uh, Bruce Darp goodness yet. So, so yeah, that comes out this Wednesday, Rediscovering the Indies.
0: Okay, you can uh, go to WrestleNomics.com for resources and articles. You can go to patreon.com slash WrestleNomics where for just $5 a month you can get my uh, TV ratings reports every weekday um, as well as access to the Wrestleomics viewership spreadsheet uh, as well as other things that are sprinkled about for our subscribers, for just $5 a month. Um, you are already listening to this podcast, so thank you. You can follow me uh, on Twitter at WrestleNomics or at Brandon Thurston. I have given Chris Gull access to the Instagram for WrestleNomics. I've got to give him some more images. let post there. You can follow us on Instagram at WrestleNomics. Um, I think that's it. I'll probably, probably do a stream Monday uh, evening which uh, you might be listening to this before then, so you can check that out on YouTube. We'd, we'd like you to subscribe to the uh channel on YouTube. So I think that's all for this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our, our subscribers for subscribing. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. I'm Brandon Thurston. I'm Chris Kullo. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs>